0: We are looking at a message called Bitter Sweet, Revelation chapter 10. Tonight we'll do something a little different. We're going to go ahead and read the entire chapter. It's 11 verses, just as our scripture reading to set the table. And I would ask you if you're physically able to stand, go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. You want Revelation chapter 10? We'll start in verse 1. Revelation 10, verse 1. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Revelation 10:2. He had in his hand a little book or a little scroll which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. And there shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Verse eight. And the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book or the scroll, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. May God bless the reading of his word. May he write his word on our hearts. You may be seated. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are so grateful to be together tonight. Thank you that your word is living and powerful. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you that it is profitable for every area of our life. Thank you that the promises of of God are yes and amen. Thank you that they are precious and magnificent promises. And uh, those promises, Lord, we can bank on. That at one point in the future, the words will be true. There will no longer be a delay. You will wrap up the times. You will consummate the times. As the Lord Jesus Christ returns, as the Bible promises over and over again, there will be a second coming of the Lord, just as the Bible prophesied a first coming. And we are in a season of waiting, Lord, and waiting can be hard. There's portions of Scripture that tell us, you know, that say, come, Lord Jesus. There's the word Maranatha. But, Lord, we know that you're doing your work in your time and your way. And we know that you fixed a day when you will come and judge this world. And as we wait, we look around the world, and sometimes we see beauty and promise, and sometimes we see some of the ugliest things that we could ever imagine. And tonight, Lord, as we um, look into your word, I pray that your word would look into us. Make us what you want us to be. Help us to release things that we carry, that we have no business carrying. Lord, let us just trust you that you're on the throne, that you will... Make good on your promises as we navigate through this life. We pray that in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So the book of Revelation, like a lot of the Bible, is bittersweet. There are times when I read my Bible and I just say, man, that is sweet. What a sweet, incredible promise of God. Precious and magnificent promises that almost make me feel like I can walk on air. And then there's other times that I read the Bible and go, ouch. And sometimes I say, and all God's people said, ouch. Because there are portions of the Bible that are bitter. And the portions of the Bible that are bitter have to do mostly with judgment. Um, There are are things in Scripture that I certainly I take no delight in as a man, neither reading them nor preaching them. In fact, I know that sometimes when people hear the Word of God, it's a bit bitter to them. It's a a bitter pill to swallow because the Bible will cause us to look at depths of our souls that sometimes we don't want to look at. It's easier to turn up the radio, to look elsewhere, than to look inside and see what's really there and see what God sees. But I also realize that sometimes when I And looking at myself and I'm not feeling that great about myself, then I get a fresh look at the promises of God and who I am in Christ. And it's sweet again. And you can move from bitter to sweet as you take in the word of God. This particular book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, um, and for that matter, this particular chapter is bittersweet because it tells us that there's going to be a time when it will be said The delay is over. The mockers that will come in the last days with their mocking saying, where is the promise of his coming? They will be silenced. In fact, they will face the wrath of God. But when they face the wrath of God, you know, it's not going to be a pretty time. It's not really even going to be a celebratory time. In fact, we saw in the book of Revelation that there is a sober silence before the breaking of the seventh seal. We said that perhaps that's an anticipatory silence. Maybe that's the calm before the storm. But as we looked at Zephaniah and other places, we could see that there's a sober silence to the reality of judgment coming. I'll give you an illustration from another book of the Bible. Imagine Noah knowing that at some point the flood was going to come and he was hammering away at the ark. And 2 Peter 3.5 tells us that Noah was preaching righteousness. He was... A preacher of righteousness. But imagine being Noah and knowing that the flood was coming. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. And you go around and preach. And the only converts that you have are your family. How many persons got on the ark? Eight. What was the population of the world? It was was probably millions and millions of people. And the flood came, in the words of Jesus, and swept them all away. And it will be just that way. At the coming of the Son of Man. So there are things in the future of this planet that you could say are bitter. They're hard. They're hard pills to swallow. We anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ Christ with great exhilaration because we know it's our redemption. We know it's going to be the makeover of the planet, new heavens and new earth, wherein righteousness dwells, all those things that we're looking forward to. And yet it's bitter because we know there are going to be many people who are swept away in the judgment. In fact, We saw that at the end of chapter 9 when the uh, seven seals broken, the judgments of God come down. uh, Trumpet blasts are coming down. And if you pick it up in uh, Revelation 9, verse 20, it says, The rest of mankind, 920, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and, and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. As the judgment of God comes, you know, maybe you would expect to see that people were repenting, but much like Pharaoh, when the plagues were coming down on Egypt, Pharaoh's heart grew harder and people who face the day of the Lord judgment will become more bitter and more hard towards God. And from what I can see at the breaking of the seventh seal, you don't have anybody who repents once the day of the Lord commences. Once the judgment of God falls, and I'm not talking about tribulation, I'm talking about judgment. Once the wrath of God comes, you see no people repenting at this point. Nobody's getting right with God. Once Jesus comes and takes his bride home, if you will, the world is going to be hard, just like the Pharaoh. Now, there's a there's a parallel passage in the book of Ezekiel. If you find the book of Ezekiel, find the Psalms. Go to your right. You'll have uh, let's see, Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. All right, so let's go over to Ezekiel. Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Chapter two. Chapter two, here's the call of Ezekiel. And scholars have pointed out that there is a symmetry, a, uh, a similarity between the format of the book of Ezekiel and the format of the book of Revelation. For example, seeing the glory of God in chapter one and getting a commission from God and then the judgment of God and so forth. So here's how it, Reads, this is Ezekiel 2, verse 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, Ezekiel 2, 3, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Ask for them whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house, verse 7. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Move into chapter 3, verse 1. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me this scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of intelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. Dave, if you could turn me down just a smidgen, that'd be great. But I've sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man... Take into your heart all my words, which I shall speak to you and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people and speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. So I speak to some audiences and if I can tell that they're not listening, I just try to contort my face up here a little bit. Give them, you know, make your face as hard as Flint. I don't even know how how do you do that? How do you make your face as hard as Flint? But you know, there's there's been some times when I've been preaching, for example, at a memorial service and I've gone out to some locations all alone. I'm the preacher. It's a weird feeling sometimes to be the preacher. Sometimes you're standing off by yourself and nobody wants to look at you and it's it's this weird thing. And then you preach the word of God and uh, you never know kind of what you're going to get because, you know, you start naming the name of Jesus and talk about sin and death and that people need to repent of their sin. If you're going to preach the gospel, you got to be, you got to expect all kinds of faces. Now, usually you can tell the Christians in there. because the, the Christians are usually like nodding their head. Yeah, yeah, come on. Sometimes you even hear a little amen. Come on, preach it. And then there's the other people who are doing what we call the bulletin shuffle. The bulletin shuffle is they hold a piece of paper and they just keep kind of crossing their legs and they don't want, want to make eye contact with you. It's, it's quite an interesting perspective from up here, I have to tell you. It's never a position, that actually, I thought I would be in, <laughs> but here I am, <laughs> right? And the Lord gives a specific commission to those who preach his word, and here's what it is. You preach my word, whether they listen or not, is not the deal. The deal is you be faithful. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, I ate the Lord's words and he uses similar language. They were they were sweet. But he even says later in Jeremiah 20, I think it's verse nine. He says, man, there were times that I tried to hold the word of God in and became like a fire in my bones and I had to let it out. But there were times when the weeping prophet didn't want to preach what God gave him because it was hard. It was hard to go to his own people, the people of Israel, and tell them hard truth about what they were doing wrong and what God expected of them and coming judgment. And in much the same way, that's what's happening in the book of Revelation now. John is sharing what we would call bitter sweet truth. Sweet to us as Christians because we want the Lord to come. We want heaven. We want righteousness to dwell. We want new heavens and a new earth. We want resurrection bodies. But for the world and those who do not receive Jesus Christ, it's going to be a bitter, bitter time. The next book to your right is the book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 12. You're going to see some similarities uh, between the book of Revelation in chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 12. So we're going to go there as we're close there in location uh, and we're going to see some parallels to what happens in Revelation 10. So this is Daniel 12. Let's pick it up at verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands... Guard over the sons of your people will arise, Daniel 12, 1. There will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now, if we're dealing with the resurrection in Daniel twelve two, we know that the dead in Christ will rise First, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. So we're dealing with an end time scenario in the book of Daniel. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you truly want to shine, lead people to Christ. Your mission on this planet is to lead people to Christ. That is what a wise person does You lead many to righteousness and you will shine like the stars forever and ever. Now, Daniel is addressed. But as for you, Daniel, he's the author of our book, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. If you have the NIV, New King James, it says the time of the end. The New American Standard says until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now, many who have looked at Bible prophecy and looked at Daniel 12:4 have made the suggestion that knowledge increasing and uh, people going back and forth could speak of modern travel, planes, trains and automobiles, which have really been birthed in the last about 100 years. Right. And we have people going everywhere rather quickly and sometimes rather slowly, depending on what freeway you regularly drive. And people go back and forth, to and fro. Sometimes you wonder if people even know where they go <laughs> and why they're going there. But anyway, this is what we do. We go back and forth. We live in a technology age where everything is moving at fast paces. You know, we get information quickly. We get food quickly. We move quickly in vehicles. And and so people have looked at this and said, one of the signs of the end times will be people moving rapidly on planes, trains, and automobiles and so forth. But I don't think that that's the context here. Many going back and forth and knowledge increasing in context probably has to do with knowledge of the last days. I would say to you that knowledge of prophecy is probably the context. And though there have been many incredible scholars over the years, uh, those in our generation, for example, have Saw the return of Israel to the land. Many scholars before 1948 were trying to find other explanations for last day scenarios because Israel, it looked like Israel would never return to the land. And of course, they were gone from the land for some 1900 years. But in our own generation, in, in some of our own lifetimes, they have returned to the land. And so it seems that the book of Daniel is talking about going back and forth on the pages of scripture and increasing knowledge in terms of prophetic things. I'll leave that to you to study a little bit more, but I think that's it's safe to say that that's the context verse 5. Then I Daniel looked and behold two others their angels were standing one on this bank of the river that's the Tigris and the other on that bank of the river each on opposite shores of the river and one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. He's a third person uh, above the waters. How long will it be until the end of these wonders? Well, that's the question, right? How long? That's the question that the kids ask in the car. When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? How long? I mean, Daniel's been seeing incredible things in the book of Daniel, and he wants to know how long till this stuff happens, till we have these events occur. And I heard the man dressed in linen, who seems to have the answers. Many believe that he is Jesus Christ, the two angels, almost reminiscent of the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant, where the Lord dwells above the mercy seat. And you have the angel's wings touching on the Ark of the Covenant. I'll leave that to you to consider. I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, just put in your margin there, Revelation 10, 6, that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, if you've studied prophecy, you know time, times, and a half a time is three and a half years. In Daniel chapter nine, the 70th week of Daniel is seven years, the final seven years. You can write down Daniel nine, verses 24 through 27. Half of seven is three and a half. At the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, something occurs called the abomination of desolation. That is, the Antichrist going into a rebuilt temple, as we understand it, and proclaiming himself to be God, and that this will spark the great tribulation, great persecution, great problems and so forth. Well, this is what happens. It'll be for a time, times, and a half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. I would just tell you a simple way to think of this is it will happen until the end of the 70th week. Jesus said that those times will be amputated, cut short for the sake of the elect. A little bit of debate about who the elect are in that passage. But for the sake of the elect, those events will be cut short. Daniel has questions about what's going to happen to my people, my people Israel. As for me, I heard but could not understand, verse 8. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? What's going to happen to my people, O Lord? We, will, we would all want to know if in a similar position. And he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time or the time of the end. One writer said they're locked up in the vault of God's omnipotence, or you could say in God's sovereignty. Daniel's told, go your way. This doesn't have to do with your lifetime. So you're going to seal this up. This has to do with the end of time or the time of the end. Another way to say it is the end of the age. In Matthew 24, verse 3, the apostle said, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Daniel's uh, 12th chapter here has to do with the end of the age, the end of this time period, if you will. And Daniel's told, go your way. These events don't have to do with you. They're for a future period, so conceal them up. So Daniel's told to go his way. In Proverbs 22, 6, we are told, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not, what? Depart from it. That Bible verse does not mean that it's a cookie-cutter process for every child. We have to find a child's bent or gifting, the way that he should go or she should go, and we encourage them. Now, the, the bigger picture is wisdom in the book of Proverbs, the ways of the Lord, but then to encourage a person to follow their gifting. What is the way that you should go And that way is the way you should walk therein. God has good works that he's prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. So you have to walk wisely. You walk in the wisdom of God. Daniel wants to know. He's interested in the prophetic events. And he's told, Daniel, go your way because this doesn't concern you. It's the end of days. His job was to write the prophecy faithfully. Many, verse 10, will be purged, purified, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly, verse 10. None of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. It's all about those who have insight into these things. And from that, the time of the regular sacrifice uh, abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, all of you may be wondering, man, I just got my... My head around the 1260 days, three and a half years. What's with the 1290? I have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. I think I have an idea. An extra 30 days is interesting. There was a alternative date given for the Passover. Listen to this. If you as a Jew somehow had gotten defiled in a foreign land, touching a dead body, etc., an alternative date was given to celebrate the Passover 30 days later, 30 days was also the time of mourning in Israel. They mourned for 30 days over Moses and when Aaron died. So the 30 days may be a time of mourning connected to the last days. And when you take the end of the chapter, which just go ahead and read it. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 13 and th- 1335 days. When we, we go through the book of Daniel, I'll tell you that I believe that that could point to Hanukkah. And I think what's going to have to happen in these end times is that when the abomination of desolation takes place and the temple is defiled, there's going to have to be a second Hanukkah. There's going to have to be a cleansing of the temple. And I can show you, and that's not our subject matter tonight, but I believe we have some pretty good authority that we're going to have a cleansing and a time of mourning for the Jewish people as they look on him whom they have pierced And they have a time of cleansing, almost like a second Hanukkah. Revelation 10 is our main text. And uh, I did all of that to show you some of the connections that you can see in these promises that come from the word of God. Six trumpets have blown. The unbelieving world is reeling to set the backdrop of Revelation 10. The end of chapter 9 shows people not repenting of their sins. And we move into chapter 10, which we would consider another interlude. Let me just pause and explain. We had an interlude between the sixth and seventh seals. That interlude is Revelation 7. Two things happen. You guys remember it. The sealing of the 144,000 and the great multitude that appears in heaven that's uncountable. Then the seventh seal is broken. That's six trumpets, but we're going to have an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet. In fact, the seventh trumpet, skip ahead to verse 15 of chapter 11, doesn't sound until then. It says, the seventh angel sounded, 1115 of Revelation, there arose loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So there is an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpets. And the question is, what's the purpose of the interlude and what's going on? Let's take a look and see if we can understand the context. So I saw another strong angel, Revelation 10.1. This could be a mighty angel. The word for angel is angelon. It means, in a basic sense, a messenger. We do know that in the Old Testament, Jesus is called the angel of the Lord. So in a basic sense, angel means messenger. Um, We have the city of Los Angeles. We know it as the city of angels. Well, Los Angeles comes from Angelos. It's the word for angel. And so somebody who was here recently told me about that backstory. I don't remember who it was, but anyway, of how the city was named. I think it had something to do with the view of L.A. way back in the day that it seemed angelic. Anyway, uh, I'm trying to remember who shared that with me, but... There's another strong angel, Angolan. He's coming down out of heaven and he's clothed or robed with a cloud. And the rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And I'll tell you this. uh, Scholars are divided on who this is. Some people say this is simply an angel and he's, he's called a strong angel in this verse. Others believe this is Jesus himself. Because of the descriptions. Notice, this angel comes down out of heaven. He's clothed with a cloud. Think of the glory cloud. He's got the rainbow was upon his head. That's a cool hat, right? And he, was, he had a face was, was, that was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. This sounds like descriptions of the glory of God in Ezekiel. Descriptions like Jesus Christ in Revelation 1. But there's other evidences here that it might not be Jesus. And you know what? In the end, it doesn't really matter to the main message, but it's an intriguing thing. But think about it this way. If this is just a regular but strong angel, imagine how majestic and incredible and glorious angels are. That's why when people meet angels in the Bible, they hit the deck. And angels have to say, don't be afraid. It's cool, man. And you, you say, well, do you have any Ray-Bans around or sunglasses? Because you're real shiny. I mean, come on, man. Right? I don't meet people like you every day with, you know, hats like rainbows and feet like glowing metal and that kind of thing. That's not what I see. My friends are pretty dim. I have to admit. No, just So this is an impressive being coming down out of heaven. And John, when he sees him, he says, man, the the angel, he's clothed with a cloud. He's got a rainbow. He's got a face like the sun. He's got feet like pillars of fire. Glorious, incredible prophecy. Write down Deuteronomy 32, 39 through 43. Here's what it says. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword, my hand takes hold on justice. I will render vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. That's Deuteronomy 32, 39 through 41. The Lord lifts up his hand to heaven. The Lord is depicted as doing this. So it makes you wonder, is it the Lord Jesus? Is it an angel? Well, John calls him a mighty angel, and he's got this—he's uh, robed with a cloud. We can think of, for example, Psalm one hundred four, verse one says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul; O Lord my God, thou art very great; thou art clothed with splendor and majesty." It says in verse three, he makes his clouds his chariot. So God is depicted as riding on the clouds as if it was his transportation. A rainbow being on this angel's head reminds us of a description of God's throne in Revelation 4.3. And even the promise given to Noah, God put his bow in the sky. And that was right after what? The flood came and God said, I'll never destroy the world again by a deluge of water. His face being like the sun is a Similar description to Jesus in Revelation 1.16. And even the Apostle Paul says that Jesus, on the road to Damascus, when he met the risen Lord, shined more than the noonday sun. Matthew 17.2, at the Transfiguration, says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. Matthew 17.2, his feet like pillars of fire, also is descriptions of God now, for example, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light. That's Exodus 13, 21. So that's why people go back and forth in these descriptions. You can also write down Ezekiel 1, verses 26 through 28 and Ezekiel 8, verses 2 through 4. Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28. Ezekiel 8, 2 through 4. So again, this this one that's coming down out of heaven, I'll just say to you, I'll leave it to your own study, but he is an impressive being, and he comes down, and uh, he's got something that John is going to have to uh, participate with. He, the angel, this is Revelation 10-2, had in his hand a little book or a little scroll which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, I don't know how big this angel is, Right? To place your left foot on the sea and your right foot on the land. Now, I've done that at at the beach a couple of times, but it's only in the shallow water, right? You got to kind of get a little bit wide, right? But anyway, what this means is the land and the sea and His feet being upon them shows mastery. Mastery. Uh, In fact, in Psalm 8, it says, you have put all things under His feet. There it's speaking of mankind Man having dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Mastery, all things under his feet. One day the enemies will be at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so this little scroll is open and the angels got it. And we did see a scroll in chapter 5. And the one who took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne was Jesus. So there's some commentators who believe this is the same scroll. The same one as Revelation 6 is here. But notice it is called a little scroll. And uh, some people believe that it's a smaller part of God's judgment. Some believe that it may speak of rapidity or a rapidness of God's judgment. But it does show God's mastery. And if this angel is representing God, minimally, that's what he is doing. It shows that God is the king of, of glory. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world, and also all those who dwell in it. Everything belongs to God. Everyone belongs to God. And so when the judgment comes, it's going to be God really saying, you know what, this is my planet. I've let you have free reign long enough. Now my king is going to reign. You've had plenty of kings. You've had plenty of presidents. You've had plenty of shots at this. Now I'm going to fix it. I'm going to install my king on Zion, Psalm chapter 2. And the people are going to shake their fists at this king. And they're not going to want to be on board with his plan. And God sits in the heavens, Psalm 2, and he laughs. Because man's going to be shaking his fist at God until the bitter end. And he, verse 3, Revelation 10, the mighty angel cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Man, even his voice is similar to God's voice. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now he's got the scroll. He's got a foot on the land, a foot on the sea, an impressive voice. He roars like a lion, like the king of the jungle. Man, that's impressive. Roar. remember when you first meet the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz and that strong roar that he's got? Ain't it the truth? Courage. Ain't it the truth? Until he gets that little slap on his nose by Dorothy. Why'd you go into that? right? And he's nothing but a big sissy. Oh, it's hard, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine foive. Anyway, that's a line from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) But Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Joel 3.16 says he roars from Zion. And I love the the story that C.S. Lewis wrote of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Great story, right? The white witch, man, she's so sneaky and freezes people in her garden. It's terrible, right? But then, remember the scene when the lion gets to her and, and he mauls her? Her wand goes up and it's all over. A glorious scene. Anyway, so... He cries out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now, seven is a big number in the book of Revelation. And seven is a number that speaks of what? Perfection and completion. And that's going to be key here. And so the seven uh, peals of thunder were about to speak. Now, I would imagine that this kind of speaks of God's voice. Because God's voice is like thunder. And... Uh, It does say voices here, so I'll leave that to your own interpretation. But he has the voice like many waters we see in this, this book of Revelation. And when the angel roared, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. They start to say stuff. And Psalm 29 says this. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. That's Psalm 29 verses one through five. In Isaiah 29 verses five and six, it says, in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and with a great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. The Lord's voice is powerful. Write down also Joel 3:16 and 17. And so the angel roars, the seven peals of thunder, verse 4, had spoken. And John, who's been writing all kinds of things down, because he's supposed to write down this prophecy. That's what the book of Revelation is. Write down the message, John. So John's a, uh, like a note taker. Those, those note takers in class, man, how many of you are good note takers? I mean, I, I taught Truth Academy last night. Here's a commercial for Truth Academy. Pastor Brian's moved on to Mexico. So I'm teaching the New Testament survey class in Truth Academy. So, uh, just so you know, you can come and sit in and get an idea of what that class is all about. I will say publicly that there's an online option, and Pastor John has chosen that option this particular quarter. The moment I started teaching, Pastor John went to an online option. (laughs) So, I don't... Actually, I do know what to make of that, so never mind. (laughs) So John says, I was about to write, man. These seven peals of thunder spoke, right? I was about to write. That tells me John knew what they said. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up. Think of Daniel that we just uh, read about, Daniel 12. Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. So John was just about to write. And he said, whoa, don't write this down. Now, Everybody flip over Revelation 22 for a second. Revelation 22, verse 10. Revelation twenty-two ten 10 says, He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. The whole of the book of Revelation is not to be sealed up. So I take it as the 22 chapters of Revelation. But this portion, this smaller portion, associated with this little scroll, if you will, is to be sealed up. Now the question is why? What did these seven peals of thunder say? What was the message that was being articulated that John was about to write, and then he's told not to write? Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. But I don't know. (laughs) Because where the Bible is silent, we must be silent. But I'll tell you uh, a I'll call it an educated speculation. Maybe this is God's voice from heaven during the day of the Lord speaking to mankind. Uh, roaring from Zion, which we do have evidence from other scriptures that he does this and that people are fearful of not only his presence, but we could add his voice. I don't know for sure, but the context seems to be that maybe this is God's judgment, His words to the world, um, His voice to the world, I don't know, but I'll let you consider that. And the angel whom I saw standing, Revelation 10:5, on the sea, and on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven. I mentioned to you that you can see that also in Deuteronomy 32, verse 40, and it's the Lord speaking. So when this happens, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea, on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven. Now, let me ask you, what do you think is going on there? Why at this moment does this angel or this messenger lift up his hand to heaven? What do you think he's doing? Here's what I think. I think he's making a vow. I think there's a promise being shown here. I think there's, there's some sort of vow that's being taken. I think this is God. You are going to be true to your word. This will come to pass. God will make good on his promises. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe the promises in Christ are yes and amen? Do you believe that you're going to rise? Do you believe that God is on the throne? Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Well, I think that's what's going on. I think this angel swears, and this is verse six, which confirms it, and swore by him who lives forever and ever. There's an oath. To take such a vow, says one writer, is to affirm before God that one is going to speak the truth. That vow is indicated that what the angel was about to say was of the utmost importance and truthfulness. And so he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, the things in it, the earth and the things in it, the sea, And the things in it. I was thinking of those uh, programs that show you the aquatic life, you know, under the sea that you never get a chance to see. The incredible colors and variety and creative majesty under the sea. I tried it. Anyway, (laughs) it's incredible, isn't it? It's phenomenal. You see those fish in there? They do that kind of funny. (laughs) Schools of fish and I mean, whales and weird-looking things, that bottom feeders and top feeders and (laughs) in-betweeners. It's incredible. The colors. God made everything in heaven. That's all the angels. He made everything on earth, all the people, all the animals. He made everything in the sea. He's the creator. The things in it. And here's the word. Here's the promise. This is probably the core of it that there shall be delay no longer. Do you remember in Revelation 6, I think it's verse 9, the martyr said, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood? The church has been praying for 2,000 years. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We've been saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Many have prayed for the second coming of Christ. That will be even more intensified in a time of great tribulation, don't you think? When people will be saying, rescue us, Lord, they've spilled enough blood, they've done wrong. And this angel with an oath between him and heaven to the eternal God, verse six, says there's gonna be no more delay. The time is now. There's going to be a time when we won't be talking about the future anymore. There's gonna be a time in the millennial reign of Christ when we'll talk about perhaps the past, if we'll go there. But everything to us in this book, as we look at the future, second coming of Christ, has been future. Second coming. Come, Lord Jesus. When is it going to happen? When are we going to have new heavens and a new earth? When are the wolf and the lamb going to lie together? When is the lion going to eat the straw? When is the kid going to play by the viper's hole? When is there going to be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more sorrow and no more pain? I'll tell you what, I'm tired of seeing death. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing the stuff that sin has done to this planet. I want to embrace a time when the delay will be no more. And the oath by him who lives forever and ever is there will be a time when we can say it is now. Look at the end of verse six. There will be no more delays. Why does God delay? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. So we live in between the times, right? Between the first and second advent of Christ. We live between the first coming of Jesus Christ when he paid for sin and rose from the dead and the second coming when he's going to judge the world in righteousness and rescue his bride. We live between the times. But at least we live in the new covenant. (laughs) At least we have the 66 books of the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit who sealed us for what? The day of redemption. We have a lot going for us and a lot to be grateful for. And one day, where is the promise of his coming is going to be answered with his coming. The Lord Jesus Christ will come. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, verse 7, when he is about to sound, and remember we said he doesn't sound until chapter 11, verse 15, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. When this seventh trumpet blast occurs, the mystery of God will be finished. What is the mystery of God? Quickly, because we're running out of time. Colossians 2.2 talks about the mystery of God is Christ. Colossians 1, verse 26 says, The mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. What? The hope of glory. In Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 7, we have the mystery of the church, Jew and Gentile, coming together in one body. That's a mystery. But there's one I want to show to you, and it's very relevant to this topic. It's found in Romans 11. Romans 11. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go over to Romans 11. Look at verse 25. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are trying to answer the question about what happened to Israel. Will God work again in Israel? Has, has He not? Is He not going to make good on His promises to the people of Israel, to whom received the covenants and the promises? Romans eleven verse twenty five says these words: "I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery." Romans eleven twenty five: The mystery of God is finished. We just saw in Revelation. I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until what happens? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, or I wrote in my notes, he will roar from Zion, Joel 3.16, and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Here's what I think is going on. I think... The mystery of God being finished is the mystery of Christ revealed, the mystery of Jew and Gentile in the church, and the mystery of what happened to Israel will be fulfilled because Israel's scales will fall in that day, and they will look upon him whom, him whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will ask questions about perhaps even his wounds. Revelation 10 will finish it. These mysteries will be summed up. Life is a mystery to many people, but in the Bible, the word mystery is musterion, and it's a sacred secret once concealed, now revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in the work of the church and in the work of God in Israel. And so, as we kind of finish this up for tonight, Revelation 10, 8 says, the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book which is in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it, eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter. But your mouth, in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. Now this sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? You want me to eat the scroll? Now I grew up with some guys who would eat things, bugs and things like that. Uh, one time I worked in a pizza parlor when I was growing up and um, I was a teenager at the time. And I had a friend who would do all these crazy things. And so we we had this bet. We'd all take those red peppers that you put on pizza and we would get a heaping tablespoon of them, put them in our mouth and see which one had to drink water first. So I was pretty wise back in those days. Pretty much a wise guy. And I said, you go first. So (laughs) we are timing each other, right? So you ate the peppers. (laughs) And, you know, there are all these little peppers. So, and they were burning his mouth, and he was trying to be tough. You know, things coming about. Right? He was spitting those peppers out for about a week. I don't think I ever did it. I don't remember ever doing it. I think after I saw him, I said, you win the bet. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'll buy pizza tonight. I don't want to suffer like that. I went to the angel, and I ate the scroll. And he told me, in your mouth, it's going to be sweet. But it's going to make your stomach bitter. You know, we started off talking about tonight. The message is bittersweet. And I think that's what John is experiencing. He's seeing the second coming of the Lord. The one that he followed is about to be enthroned for all the people to bow before Jesus. But it's also bitter. And I took the little scroll of the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. I say scroll because books weren't around till a little later. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. I can't help but think of some late night meals that I've chosen to eat personally. This is just a confession. Man, it sounds good to have a burrito right now or two or three and you eat it. And then how many of you have ever had that regret right afterwards? I can't believe I ate wasn't that a commercial or something? Hey, oh, I'm never going to do that again. David said, Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, the word of God is sweet. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Thy words were found and I ate them, and thy words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I've been called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. But I do think as we see the full picture of the word of God and that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the book of Revelation is bittersweet. And this little portion of the judgment that's coming to the world, if the seven peals of thunder are about the judgment that's coming, it's going to be bitter, but yet sweet at the same time. And I think that's the essence of Revelation 10. And that's the essence, I think, of the Christian life is... We preach a message. We want everybody to get saved, but not everybody's listening. And they said to me, verse 11, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples. This is not just about Israel. Concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Well, Father, we are grateful for this chapter and we know that John will go on and he will talk about mystery Babylon and he will talk about many nations and tongues and kings. He will give us imagery of Nations and confederations of nations and those who oppose the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The book will unfold with a battle of Armageddon. And there's going to be a lot ahead for this book. We're going to have uh, two witnesses prophesying set in at Jerusalem. The world will celebrate their demise. And then they will rise in front of the whole world. There's a lot coming in the book. But right now we live between the times, between the first and second coming of the Lord. We have a a window. Jesus, you said, occupy until I come. And so, Lord, we want to enjoy our lives because I believe you've you've taught us to rest and enjoy life and, and love people around us and do all those things. But also to always keep in mind at the forefront of our hearts and minds is the kingdom of God, to preach the message of hope, to preach the message of truth and love and justice in a world that is longing for answers, Lord, a world that in many ways is lost, can be found. You told us the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we know that this is going to be the end of the age, but until that time comes, Lord, we can preach the everlasting gospel and we can preach the good news, which is sweet. And we pray that many... We'll receive it. In fact, we want to pray right now with one heart, Lord, that there would be a revival in America. And that, uh, Lord, it would be the work of your Holy Spirit, not our ingenuity, not our uh, tactics or our programs. We need a move of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And so we're going to cry out for that, that you would move by your Spirit to do something in our time that we can only say, this is of God. And I pray that you would let it start with us. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.